0: A few weeks ago, having scoured eBay for hours, I bought myself a new ratchet screwdriver for work. It's a snap-on one, if anyone knows the kind of significance of that, and it does everything I need. Plus, you can store the screwdriver bits in the handle with a removable cap. It's evident that you guys are as excited as I was. (laughs) To put my joy into context, I'm an engineer and having good tools makes a difference. It makes a difference when I'm working upside down, blind, in a part of the aircraft that the original designers have long since forgotten. So when the parcel arrived, my daughter, Lila, wanted to help me open it. Now, before I continue, here's a bit of backstory with Lila. She's four and a half and she's as inquisitive as the day is long. Some parents in the room may agree with me that some days are very long. <laughs> Lila is a bright little girl, both of her granddads are ex-railways, so engineering is in her blood. She loves taking things apart, understanding how they work and helping me put them back together. More than that, she loves tools. She's often eyeing up my tools in the garage. More than once, she's offered to help me with my power drill or the circular saw. (laughs) So, the long-awaited parcel arrives and we open it together as we tear it apart, basking in the radiant light that emanates from the bubble wrap. And she asks, can I use it? Sure, why not? There's no screwdriver bits in it. What harm can she do? Before long, she's trotting around the house, clicking the shit. Click, 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 click. First, she tries to fix her toy cat, and then one of her brio trains gets a bit of attention. She's having a great time, and before long, I've been drawn back to my phone. And as Lila's not shouting, and neither is anyone else, I assume all is well. Still, the, black, the background ambience of click, 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 click then I know something's happened. I drag my eyes from my phone and Lila is stood by the porch door with two screws hanging out of one of the hinges. My heart is suddenly torn between horror and pride. (laughs) Not only has she worked out that she can take the tail cap off to get the bits out, she's emptied them onto the floor, has selected the correct bit and has pretty much removed, fully removed two screws from the middle hinge. Well trained, with misdirected enthusiasm. That same description pretty much summed up my whole apprenticeship. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Nick. I'm married to Jen, who's serving at our Bridge site today, and together we have our engineer in training, Lila, and another currently brewing, uh, Rue. From Winnie the Pooh as it's currently known is due in January. I'm excited to be here and to have the privilege to share what God has put on my heart for you. The message I get to share with you this morning is the start of our new discipleship series. The goal of this series is to help every believer grow into, into greater maturity with their relationship with Jesus. We Want to be a church family who is deeply rooted, who stands firm in the goodness of God, not swaying to the left or right. We want to be a church family that remains secure in Jesus. If you like milestones in a preach, there are going to be three areas that we're going to look at. One is, what is a disciple? Second, who was the first disciple? And third, why is that important to us? So first up, what is a disciple? So Lila, in demonstrating that she could not only take a couple of screws out the wall, but select the correct tool to do so, means that she has learned to do it from somewhere. She has spent time watching me and her granddads working. She has been exposed to an environment that is conducive to learning. This was an important element of parenting for me because I never thrived at school. As a student, I was never particularly academic. I certainly didn't learn well sat in a classroom. I'm grateful that my parents didn't push me to do A-levels because the moment I started my apprenticeship and started working in the hangars, I realised I was good at something. Years later, when I became an apprentice mentor, taking those young engineers much like me before and giving them an opportunity to grow and to shine. We read about disciples in the Bible. Being a disciple isn't the same as being a Christ follower. Because you can be a disciple in many things. For me, I had colleagues I would shadow and learn from. I had become their disciple. Their job was to allow me to grow into my profession. Rain or shine, inside the hangar or out on the flight line, I'd be there with them. Being their shadow through the good and the tough jobs. They had decades of experience and understanding and just being around them meant that I could learn from them. As time went by, I picked up skills and understanding that no book or classroom could easily teach me. I am the engineer that I am today because of the time and energy that was invested in me all those years ago. A month ago, I celebrated 20 years since I started my apprenticeship, but the learning still hasn't stopped. I'm still seeking advice from those who are longer in the tooth, those who are more experienced and keen, mostly, to pass on their knowledge. If you have a Bible with you, let's turn to Mark chapter one. I'll be starting at verse 16. As Christians and Christ followers, we are called by Jesus to learn from him. We're called to be his disciples, but we're no ordinary disciples. We're disciples of Christ almighty, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And as we go through this morning, we need to ask ourselves, what is it about Jesus that leads us to be devoted to him? So let's read the first of three main verses I'm going to look at this morning. And as we read, picture the scene in your mind's eye. We're lakeside on the sea of Galilee. For generations, men have woken up before daybreak, launched their boats and sought the plentiful fish residing in that huge body of water. Jesus is strolling down the shore and he sees two brothers, Simon, who we later know as Peter, and Andrew, throwing their nets into the water. For they had one intention, gather fish to sell and eat. Jesus had a different intention, to gather a team of disciples to change the world. So Mark 1 verses 16 to 18, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and jesus said to them follow me and i will make you become fishes of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him see this is the first and final formula for creating a disciple jesus said follow me jesus said he would change them and jesus gave them a mission let's just re- reread verse 17 and i'm just going to pick out those three points Jesus called out to them, follow me, follow. I will make you change, become fishers of men, their mission. Although 20 years ago I was called an apprentice, there are a few differences between apprentice and disciple. Although there is very little difference between the terms, I feel that I relate better to the title of apprentice, training in the shadow of a master experience being passed on skills being learnt through good and tough times throughout my years as a christian i've had the privilege to learn from many christian mentors they also had decades of experience and understanding and just being around them meant that i could learn from them again as time went by i've picked up skills and understanding now i refrain from calling them masters because they're not, (laughs) they're just humans like me. I am, however, certainly the Christian I am today because of the time and energy that has been invested in me over that time. There's another element here though, the God element. Whilst others have had an outward influence on me, God has been working from within, renewing my heart, maturing me and growing my faith. My growth has been a result of God's hand in my life, both directly and by those he's put in my path. As we look at those first disciples, they didn't have a classroom or a multitude of mentors to guide them, but they did have Jesus, the true master. When I was going through my basic phase training, I had a logbook that I had a list of jobs which I needed to complete, refuelling, marshalling, oil changes, stuff like that. The idea was to make sure I had a broad scope of experience before moving on to more complex tasks. Our second verse is in Ephesians 5, if you'd like to turn with me. And the Master gives us this instruction in those first two verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this text is our our guide. This is our tick off sheet, except we don't just tick it off and be done with it. This is how every day should look for us. It should be more of a daily programme wake up and be an imitator of god have lunch and make sure i'm walking in love at the end of the day make sure my fragrant my offering has been fragrant by that i mean has what i've done today been honorable to god now this format seems a bit silly but actually it's quite sound advice because no bad can come from being like that a more practical way to look at this perhaps is in all that i do And say and think? Does it imitate God? If we do, in fact, imitate God, imagine the impact it's going to have on those around us. And this is exactly how those first disciples got taught by Jesus. And our final passage is in John 13. I'm going to read it from the message as the flow of thought is easier to understand. So verses 10 to about 16 show us Jesus talking to the disciples. Now Jesus said, If you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now, and you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was betraying him. That's why he said, not every one of you. After he had finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and went to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so, for this is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, now you must wash each other's feet. I have laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. See, the instruction here is clear we should imitate God. He's laid down this guide. The text uses the word pattern, something to be copied. What I've done, you do. The ESV puts it this way For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. The crux of that message is having a servant hearted approach. What's the motivation to do what Jesus asks? Well, the motivation is love. His instructions are designed to grow us into imitating him. This develops a closer relationship with him. The outward expression of that is loving, honouring and serving those around us. Once those things are in place, that's a great starting point into becoming a faithful disciple. On to my second point, the first disciple. At the risk of being controversial, I'm going to admit that I don't really like football. (laughs) This means that my preachers, unlike Paul Williams, they are typically free from football analogies. I think that my dislike stems from a childhood spent far more focused on scouts and climbing trees, but actually more likely it's because I was nearly always picked last for the team. When the disciples are mentioned, several names come straight to mind. Andrew is rarely one of them. When you have the big leagues like Peter, James and John, the others just don't stand a chance, especially if they have the nicknames like The Rock and Sons of Thunder. Even Judas has more fame, be it infamy. Andrew can get overlooked, yet his role as a disciple under Jesus is significant. Andrew was a steady and dedicated disciple, and that's two really important qualities. Andrew was considered faithful from the outset, from the moment Jesus called him. You don't see him storming into situations or recoiling in denial. But why did Jesus choose Andrew first? There must have been something that qualified him to be a disciple, right? Well, I think there was, but it had nothing to do with his education, training or professional ability. There's a saying that inspired me when I was young I guess I sound really old now and it still does that God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called. Andrew had faith immediately and followed Jesus without question. That moment Jesus calls him the net is discarded in a heartbeat because Andrew recognised that Jesus is the Messiah. Those were qualities that Jesus wanted in his team. The fact that God God qualifies the called has been such an encouragement to me over the years. We see it throughout scripture, time and again, God calling the faithful to his mission. Enabling them to achieve things they may well have been outside their normal grasp. A few years ago, Jen and I went for an interview with a charity called Mission Aviation Fellowship. They're a Christian mission that operates aircraft uh, for the progression of the gospel. Their vision is to see isolated people changed with the love of Christ. Their mission, serving together to bring help, hope, and healing through aviation. Now God has really laid this mission on our hearts. And I know he's laid it on our hearts because whenever we try and close that door, it swings wide open again and we get really excited every time we talk about it. Now, up until that point, I'd only had experience in military aircraft and helicopters, the two things that MAF do not operate. So before that interview, I researched civil aviation and law and their processes. So I was prepared for the interview. So we rock up at their headquarters in Folkestone. With a coffee and a posh biscuit, we sat down with the HR rep and their recruitment lead. With my CV grasped in my sweaty palms, I calmed myself and prepared for the onslaught of questions I'd experienced in previous interviews. Well, the first thing that surprised me was that they opened in prayer. I've never been to an interview where they have wanted to pray, and this is the first of many things that showed me that these guys were really Christ-centered. With the prayer done, it was onto the first question. What kind of church do you guys go to? And I was like, easy, I got this. To be fair, I should have seen this one coming. Second question, how do you engage with your church on a Sunday? Oh, I genuinely wasn't expecting that, but I know the answer. Third question, what does your prayer life look like? It's the first interview where I've known all the answers. But it wasn't the audit of the understanding of aviation that I was anticipating. There wasn't a single question regarding my competence or my experience What they wanted were faith-filled disciples who love Jesus and have a heart to serve. The intricacies regarding licences and experience would come later. First and foremost, they wanted people that had hearts devoted to Jesus. They weren't interested in my qualifications or my understanding. They wanted to know what our faith looked like. They wanted to see our faith in action. What gets us excited for mission and what God was doing in our local church. So when Jesus approached Andrew and Simon, he wasn't concerned by their qualifications. What Jesus needed were faith-filled followers that were Messiah-centered. Because Jesus doesn't need an offering of a sweaty CV and a mind-filled of revised uh, revised quiz questions. Jesus looks at the heart. He knows exactly what's going on in there. The problem is, I also know what's going on in there. I sometimes have to fight off a fear of failure. Jesus knows we'll flounder and fail, and yet he still draws near to us. A cloud of hopelessness can sometimes hang over me. Jesus knows our capacity and our capabilities, and yet he still draws near to us. Our desires, our delights, and our disappointments. He knows the lot, and yet he still draws close to us. We're not the first disciples. Many, many have gone before us. Jesus has drawn close to each and every one of them. So here are a couple of examples of personal growth in Andrew. In John chapter 6, we read of the reading, we read of the feeding of the five thousand. It was Andrew who found the boy with the loaves and fish. For any apprentice master, having an apprentice that does what you ask is monumental. Great job, Andrew. Andrew expresses his concern, however, to Jesus about how small the offering is. The NIV says, but how far will they go among so many? In the passage, we see two groups being taught here. Not only have the crowd heard from Jesus all day, There is was also a training moment for the disciples. In the same way I had my apprenticeship and Lila has learnt from those she she spends time with, Jesus has crafted a training moment here for the disciples. Because Jesus doesn't berate Andrew or the others, he uses the situation as a training opportunity. The training isn't about how to be frugal with a little food, it's about us taking the little we have and taking it to Jesus because he has the power to transform. This isn't a classroom activity. This is feet on the ground, hands-on training. Of course, we see the results, and Andrew has his faith taken up a notch, or three. Another example is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. We see the disciples at the Mount of Olives. We see this in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark 13. Jesus describes to them the end times, But explains that the gospel must be preached to all nations. We learn that uh, that Andrew asked questions and wanted to learn from Jesus and that's another key trait, a willingness to learn. There is no fault in asking questions. We can often prompt others to teach us by asking questions. It was in asking these questions at the right time that led Andrew to his mission Andrew, after Jesus' death and resurrection, became a lifelong uh, missionary. The Bible doesn't talk about his missionary, however, there are other documents that tell us about his work around the Black Sea region. See, missionary work isn't easy. The easy option for Andrew would have been to return to his fishing business. But Andrew's character and understanding of faith was evident from the very beginning, from the moment Jesus called him. That was it for Andrew. He was forever changed for the Gospel. The past was completely behind him and there was no going back. Andrew's mission concluded when a Greek Governor Aegeus told him to stop his evangelism. The governor, as well as many others there, believed in the Roman gods. Andrew didn't stop and was subsequently martyred. We know that Andrew faced heavy persecution throughout his time as an evangelist. When the storms of life hit, what did he do? He remained firm. When he was faced with the governor demanding that he stopped, for the sake of the gospel he continued. This is growth as a disciple. This is a guy who is firmly rooted in faith, not being swayed to the left or to the right. He was a disciple that set a high bar, a high bar for faith, for perseverance, and are not allowing outward pressure to scupper the mission he'd been set. My third and final point. Historical paintings... Sorry, why is this important to us? Historical paintings and stained glass windows don't give us a good representation of the disciples. We often see them staring moodily into middle distance, striking a bold pose, a religious artefact or two in their hands. And as I was preparing this message... I felt I had a prophetic message for you, as our church family. Contrary to those old depictions of the saints, I see you, my church family, as apprentices. Your eyes aren't staring moodily into middle distance, rather your eyes are firmly on the cross. You might well strike a bold pose, but you are there with arms wide open, welcoming everyone who comes through those doors. And rather than toting some religious artefact, you grasp the word of God in one hand and the tools of your trade in the other. See, the reason we train apprentices is to grow a new generation of skilled labourers. We often say that the harvest is plentiful, yet the workers are few, and by this we mean there are still so many to be reached by the Gospel. We have been called to be disciples. We have also been called to make disciples from those around us. The way that Jesus called those 12 men to his side, the same way we get called. Jesus says to us, follow me. Jesus says he'll change us. And Jesus says, here's your mission. If we are to become these workers that gather the harvest, we need to develop skills and understanding that allow us to do it. There's no point giving a child a tool and expecting them to know instantly on how to use it. Lila only managed to take the screws out the hinge because she had been, uh, she had seen it done before, and had been in that training environment. How do we go about our personal goals and development? I think it's all about setting goals for yourself. Let me share my goal with you. I want to grow in my dedication to Jesus. And what does that look like for me? Well, when a storm comes, or the difficulty appears at my doorstep, I'm pretty good at getting praying, and I'm also good at encouraging others to do the same. What I'm also good at doing is keeping the anxiety that comes with it. My personal growth is to leave that anxiety at the foot of the cross, giving him my little offering and allowing him to provide in his power. I've been encouraged when I hear testimony from experienced Christians who have walked these storms and have remained firm. Knowing this, I make effort to take notes of those encouragements. When difficulty comes, I try to remember to let go and to give it to God. I took great pleasure in becoming an apprentice mentor. I know the title might be off-putting for some, but it doesn't have to be that formal. Being a part of a life group means you get to do life with people. You get to share your experiences and your thoughts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You get to journey through life with them, through your lows and highs, through their trials and wins. This is mentoring. These are servant-hearted actions at work. Peer learning, which is when we learn from each other, is so effective. There is no greater privilege than seeing people grow in their faith and getting to be a part of it. How do we learn new skills? Well, drawing alongside experienced Christians, placing, in our, placing ourselves in an environment that will help us learn, and watch someone with a mature faith, and see what questions they ask, and how they tackle difficulties. Can I encourage you to ask the elders how you can be discipled? I've had the joy and trials of being discipled, and I say trials because it's not all plain sailing. Growth happens as undesirable attributes are replaced by ones that bring fruit. So we're blessed to be a part of Commission, our network of churches within New Frontiers, because actually they're really good at offering training. Jenny and I did the two-year foundation course uh, starting in 2017 because we wanted to be intentional about learning and journeying with others. God gave us the prompting and the eldership team gave us the nudge to get on with it. And it was daunting to begin with. But now I look back on a season of our lives where we experienced significant growth in our faith and our understanding. It cemented our faith and erased our goals for the future. I remember we did a session on the Trinity, and I have never been so in awe of God. I hadn't grasped the vastness or the mystery before, and I was absolutely blown away. It was truly a Jesus moment and I just wasn't expecting it. It only happened by being obedient to the following of the prompting of the Spirit and putting ourselves in a place where we can learn. The course was varied and covered many topics I'd avoided because I'm not academic, but it gave us skills in how we approach the Bible. It gave us confidence in how we lead, how we nurture others, how we do church. I cannot tell you how valuable that training was and I would encourage any of you any of you in a heartbeat to consider the level one theology course because once you get the bug for it you'll be stuck with it for life. Now I know you may have dismissed this encouragement because that's what I did too. Can I encourage you don't shut the door completely leave it open a crack and see what God is leading you to. Because God's heart is absolutely for you. And being a disciple means you too can gather skills to announce the good news of God. The eldership team here at New Life are keen on many things, but one thing Jen and I have both experienced is their heart for personal growth. To start with, I didn't want to do foundations because I'm not academic, I'm no good in a classroom but the Holy Spirit nudges kept on coming. So I asked people I trusted for their opinion. And when I eventually accepted that foundation training was going to be beneficial, it turned out we could only afford to send me. And when we had the discussion with Paul and Cain and Dale, we didn't realise that the church has a budget for training. And LCC gave us financial support so we could both do it. We both got so much more out of doing it together. Part of the course encourages you to have a mentor in your home church to discuss the training topics afterwards. And I think this was the most valuable part for us. Can I just highlight again, it is so important to note, NLCC have a heart to invest in your growth. NLCC takes training, particularly discipleship, incredibly seriously. And they do a really good job of it. Don't let finances, the fear of doing it, the fear of failure, be the reasons that you miss out on a life changing opportunity. If the door is open, even a crack, then please do come and speak to me or Kane about it. Personal growth not only does us good, but it does the church good too. If, like Andrew, you've responded to that call to follow Jesus, there's a call to change alongside the call to mission. Growth can happen in a multitude of different ways. Don't let your thoughts cloud the power of Jesus. If you feel that you've had a prompting for growth and mission, push it back to God for confirmation. You don't need me to tell you if God is on your case. It's all about being obedient. Once you have a nudge, seek confirmation from other sources. Ask your peers, the elders, the pillars in the church. And when I use the term pillars, I mean people who have been put in place of authority and responsibility. Spiritual mothers and fathers, site leaders, team leaders, preachers, life group leaders. Now, they might not know the answers, but they'll know where to direct you to. It's important to be obedient. The first two stages, the nudge and the seeking confirmation will build confidence to push forward. Start small and look for affirmation from the Holy Spirit. Pray about it. Ask God to confirm it in other ways and then go. Don't use the excuse that you're waiting for a burning bush moment as Moses did because they rarely come. Seek confirmation, be bold and step out. Feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit, pray about it and seek confirmation. I'm not entirely sure how many times I'm going to have to go over this. Sometimes you just have to step out like Andrew did. Before I talk about how we respond, let me just summarise where we've been so far this morning. We saw what what it's like, what it means to be a disciple, someone who desires to follow and imitate Christ in all that they do. As their spiritual maturity grows, they become more and more like Jesus. We looked at Andrew and what his faith journey looked like. We saw that you don't have to be at the front of the pack to be a good disciple. Being steady and dedicated are two important character traits. And finally, we saw examples of how we can apply these principles to allow our faith to grow on our journey with Jesus. As I close, how do we respond? The joy of preaching is that God uses what we bring to the benefit of those who listen to it. So during this preach, the Holy Spirit may have started something new or may have reignited something that's been an ember. You're all disciples, regardless of what stage your walk with Jesus is. If you've yet to experience the joy of knowing Jesus as your saviour, then hopefully what you've heard this morning will be an encouragement to you. You're an apprentice, a trainee. No one expects you to be perfect. And no one expects you to have all the answers. What you do have is a church that loves you. You have an eldership team that is for you, wants to see you grow and is willing to invest in your faith journey. Be it through formal training, discipleships, discipleship or life groups. More importantly, however, you have a God who loves you and has done everything for you. Could this be the moment where you take that step of faith like Andrew did? Just as we saw Andrew lost his net but gained everything in return. Maybe you're a Christian but you don't feel much like a disciple. Maybe you don't feel that you're following Jesus as you should. It could be that you've disengaged with church, you desire more time spent with Jesus, but it just doesn't happen. There could be any number of reasons. Well you're amongst family who suffer the same problems. The joy of church is that we get to encourage one another and that's what's so good about life groups. Sunday mornings aren't great for a proper catch up or a chance to ask questions. This is exactly what life groups are for. Jen and I have led a life group for about six years and we love the community that they create. When someone has a problem during a week, a message goes out on the WhatsApp chat and you know the whole group is praying about that problem. You have people checking in on you and making sure that you're supported. It's a safe place to learn and to ask questions. You get to see other people outworking their faith. And I can't encourage you enough to get involved with a life group if you haven't already, because they are amazing. Maybe you don't feel that you've changed, feeling like the same old you, same habits, same anxiety, same stumbling blocks pray that Jesus would help you overcome. Be more like Andrew and take a step of faith. And maybe you don't feel that you have a mission. You feel that you want a calling but can't see it yet. Pray that you have your eyes opened and that opportunities would present themselves. I feel there may be some here who want to take the next step in obedience, be that formal training or finding yourself with a new mission I encourage you again, take it back to God, pray about it and speak to those pillars in the church and see what happens. Can I invite the band back up, please? I'm going to bring you back to that prophetic picture I brought before. Unlike the historical art depicting the saints, your eyes aren't staring moodily into the middle distance. Your eyes rest firmly on the cross. You might well strike a bold pose, but your arms are there, wide, opening, wide open, at welcoming everyone who comes through those doors. And rather than toting some religious artefact, you grasp the word of God in one hand and the tools of your trade in the other. If you don't feel this is you, then, as we worship, ask God to re-establish the disciple relationship and ask him for an opportunity to learn. Declare these attributes over yourself. If any of this has resonated with you, then I would like, and you'd like to pray with it, I'm here, Cain's here, we'd love to pray with you. And we'll have this conversation in our live groups this week, and there'll be plenty of opportunity to share testimony and ask questions. Before I close in prayer, I, um, we believe God is faithful and has an active desire for our growth, and part of this comes from His Spirit. And as we were preparing this morning, I felt that I've got uh, three prophetic messages uh, to share. And uh, the first one is a lost ring. And so my wedding ring went missing last night. Uh, turned out Lila had it. Um, but my, my alternative was uh, I've got a, a silicon ring that I wear for work and it doesn't feel the same. And I was a little bit anxious, if I'm honest, about coming here and not having my, my comfort ring. Um, maybe something's missing from your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've got something, but it's a facsimile of what actually should be. So if that's you, we'd love to pray with you. Um, Michelle, I've got a word for you. I saw a picture of um, a swamp lorry, going through the swamp and it's got these massive tires with tons of grip on it. And I felt actually God is gonna give you an opportunity to tow someone out of the mud. And so just be aware of that situation that God has given you grippy tyres to drag people out of the mud. And so that's for you. Um, And I'm going to hold on to the third one. So I'm just going to pray and then lead us into worship. That would be great. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that your heart is for us, that you desire an ever-growing relationship with us. As we go into worship, I pray that you'll continue to stir our hearts. Burden us with a desire to love and know you more. Give us eyes to notice opportunities and courage to take steps of faith for you. In whatever we feel you're calling us to do, we acknowledge that you are Lord and have all authority. And in your name we pray. Amen.